welcome to Talking to the Teacher About Poetry, the podcast where an English teacher tries to convince a physics teacher that poetry is good in it. So, <laughs> I'm John. And I'm James, the teacher talking about poetry. The aforementioned English teacher, perchance. The very same. <laughs> And today we're going to be covering a specific poem. James, would you like to, shall we do an introduction or would you like to just jump straight in? I am delighted to introduce this poem. I think this is a poem that some people will know, even if they don't know by heart, then will be aware of. It was actually voted the UK's favourite poem in 1995, I think. Um, we're going to talk today about If by Rudyard Kipling. Very nice. And I think it's probably best if we kick off with actually reading the poem. So this is If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream, and not make dreams your master. If you can think, and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can walk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Thank you very much, James. Um, I think addressing the elephant in the room, straight away we can see that it is a poem which rhymes, uh, which I think... You were saying it was voted the favourite, and I think that probably is one of the devices that helps people enjoy it more than something which does not rhyme. I am sure that is the case, and there is very little doubt about this one being a poem, I would say, mm -hmm. for exactly that reason. <laughs> um, and I think it's probably also one of those things that makes it very memorable particularly actually because a lot of the rhymes at the very start are all very similar um i mean i think it rhymes you three times in a row and yeah it's interesting because it's sort of it's a b throughout isn't it where each line is rhyming with sort of the alternate line 
But those, it opens with the first four lines all rhyming before it falls into that pattern. Yeah, and sort of sets itself up right from the get-go with its a kind of address to somebody else, but also it's implied that it's sort of addressed to whoever is listening, really. And I think that is one of the things that makes it potentially quite popular with people, that it feels kind of like it is speaking to them in some way. Yeah, and I think also the the hanging if at the start of every sentence or every clause, mm-hmm. perhaps, that also sort of keeps you on edge, waiting to see, waiting for that to be fulfilled, basically. What is the conditional that we're waiting to be filled at the end of the poem? Yeah, it's always going towards, as you say, that resolution at the end. And given that it is a poem about an experience of life, then I think it's probably also expressing something of that experience through that conditional mood all the way through the poem that quite a lot of life can be quite uncertain and you are left waiting for the resolution and then one of the things that makes it so satisfying is that there is some form of resolution right at the end. Do you think if there wasn't that resolution at the end it would still be as popular? I think it's probably a little bit unlikely. I feel like it is powerful for lots of people to remember because it has that strong message or takeaway right at the end of it. And I think that was representative of a time and certainly a little bit more so in the writing of that time. It was um, written just over 100 years, well, actually more than 100 years ago now, um, at a time when there was a little bit kind of less reluctance about some certainty or determination. Um, And I think a lot more of modern or contemporary poetry has a lot more doubt in it. And Mm -hmm. that's a very broad generalisation. But I think it helps to make something appealing if you have a sense of confidence and security from it. And this very definitely provides that at the end, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting. My understanding is that this was written um, sort of tail end of the 20th century, sorry, at the tail end of the 19th century. Hmm. And he wrote it for his son as sort of life advice. Um, and sort of in that context, it's kind of, you can kind of see his, he's clearly sat down and thought, what are the things that I would want to pass on? So to very consciously pass it on. Again, you've got quite a lot of uncertainty around this time. We're quite close before World War One. There's not, obviously they haven't had that experience of a, the Great War yet and sort of that, but there is a lot of uncertainty in the world. And I think, I do wonder if part of it was he didn't know if he would have the opportunity to pass these messages on or if it's not done consciously, would it be forgotten? So through the course of a lifetime. But just sort of diving into that specifically, that final line, you'll be a man, my son. Now, in the version that I have, man is capitalised as though it's a proper noun. Mm -hmm. Now, that's quite interesting of itself because, again, in terms of the time that it was written, is he writing this sort of to say, like, these are virtues specific to men and that will make you a man with a capital M or are these the virtues that he thinks are good for all people, sort of mankind generally? 
yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And I think that capitalization definitely hints at something more universal and implying something universal about human experience. Um, but then it is hard to ignore that the references through the poem are masculine and that it is a son that he is the speaker is talking to he walks with kings and i think that when the poem was originally written it was in response to a conflict a battle uh, in which there is a particular male soldier in mind as well and hmm. so i think that it is hard to imagine that there isn't some idea of masculinity in particular that he's thinking about um here yeah and that was where i was driving with that basically because interestingly with you saying sort of there's a certainty to the language here that starts to slip away as we get to the more modern poetry it also that sort of coincides with i think also the sort of the i the ideals of masculinity and this sort of point in history there are very sort of set ideals of masculinity what a man should be and as we move into the 20th century to the modern day that does become less prescribed less specific um, we sort of broaden our range of acceptable views of what defines masculinity. And therefore, they, I just found it quite interesting that those two things coincide together. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing to pick up on. And I think it is also worth saying that there are lots of qualities in the poem that are qualities that are explored from that kind of universal perspective. Um, and part of this is about the individual experience and part of it is about language when it talks about hearing the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Um, I think there are parts of this that don't dwell specifically on <laughs> you, you have to be a man to be able to feel like that. <laughs> um, but then I also think that, well, one of the, the, the... There is, interestingly, there are certain things in the poem that I think there is a kind of implicit sense of not quite entitlement, but certainly it's implied that you are you have access to a certain level of power or capacity to do things that might then be challenged. Um, and I wonder if there is some element of that patriarchal society underpinning that um, in the idea that you might kind of implicitly have responsibility for things or that also you might be able to pursue dreams but not be overcome by them. Um, and there is no necessarily no barrier to you pursuing those apart from your own kind of self-control and the things that this poem directs you to do that's interesting because the if you can dream and not make dream dreams your master line i read that not as you're entitled to the dream but more the speaking to 
those ambitions that you won't be able to fulfill. Mm. And so you can have your ambitions, but you shouldn't become overly bogged down in them because you may not be able to achieve them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about the poem, and I think one of the reasons that it becomes so popular is that I think it is very easy to inhabit from these perspectives and I think very easy to feel like you individually belong within the poem and that it is kind of speaking to your perspective and it's actually surprisingly difficult for a poem to do that particularly a poem Mm. that is talking so explicitly about life experience and the challenges of making a life and of living over an extended period of time really rather than focusing on one individual moment and that is a a remarkable thing that this poem does very well i think yeah and do you think these virtues that it holds up are still good virtues good in the moral sense or do you think that they're now outdated some of them it's time to put on my 19th century cap (laughs) and become the moralist of the day i think surely some of them are applicable right um i think if being lied about don't deal in lies seems like it might be pertinent advice to uh, some of the uh, people of influence within the nation as it stands Um, and I think similarly there is lots of discussion about um, being hated don't give way to hating and things in this poem that seem to be for want of a better word wise and it is really strange talking about this from from a contemporary perspective because i'm very conscious of any idea of essentially universalizing some of those principles and talking about a universal moral code it's an idea that's kind of very to all to a lot of modern literature and literary writers quite a um hard thing to do um a thing that isn't done very much because of the awareness that i am one individual among um many many different perspectives and i think that that means that there surely are some ideas in the poem that are a little outdated one of which is the sense if you read it that way that it is slanted towards a masculine experience i am i think one of the things that really comes out of it that i think has survived for a long time is this sense of tenacity and just determination to achieve something and i think that is one of the reasons that people like it so much that it is a motivator it's a reason individually to hold on to an idea equally the idea that if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it is on a very small personal scale possibly true uh on a (laughs) practical societal level a little bit unfeasible today 
and I think that might be where the poem falls short in its attempts to make these more universal pronouncements. I presumed when I read when I read that line, yours is the earth. I don't read that as a literal line, though. I read that as harking back to sort of biblical verse of blessed are the meek, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and that's in all of that. It's obviously they they shall inherit X um, and sort of that metaphorical ownership of it. Um, and in terms of the morality, it all so reading it, it all feels very much in the lens of stoicism. And it all seems very stoic, um, sort of, sum- in summary, effectively, you don't allow your emotions to control you. Something good happens, something bad happens, you stay You stay your course, continue on, you don't grumble, you don't become overly proud. So, yeah, if you can take, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your begins and never breathe a word about your loss. That's very stoic to, yes, you might feel the loss, but you don't talk about it. You don't allow it to affect your cause. Yes, I think that stoic reading is really compelling. And it very much seems to be the case that there is that feeling of, as you said, quiet resolution and humility in not being raised too high by your successes or brought down too low by your failings um and i think interestingly again that's probably one of those areas where it opens itself up slightly from a more contemporary perspective because i think there is an extent to which that the power of that kind of stoicism of bearing things is is quite stereotypically british in a sense right of the stiff upper lip that's exactly what i was just thinking of the that stiff upper lip that was such a thing for such a long time Mm -hmm. and has now sort of fallen from the consciousness to the extent that stoicism came to mind before the stiff upper lip Mm -hmm. is a really interesting sort of context for this to be viewed in yes and i think that would we really today advocate never breathing a word about that um i think because this is a poem that is talking in those generalizing principles then it gets away with the idea that you can do that because it doesn't have to deal with the particulars of individual responses when you don't do that or the individual trials of when you have to go and take your life and stoop and build it up again with worn out tools um and so it's very very good i think at creating a almost kind of mythical narrative of a life um and it trades in things that are you know on the verge of cliche really to do that um and yet sometimes those things are cliches because they are still they hold very powerful messages in them and i think that it's almost it would be interesting to think about 
how much the British concept of a stiff upper lip is informed by this poem and how mm-hmm. much it informs it because it's been around for so long. Yeah, I would think that this is... So we're sort of late Victorian era here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, the empire's at its peak, I believe, at this point. And I think the stiff upper lip sort of propaganda, if you will, is probably in full force at this point because it is a great way to get men specifically to enlist in the armed forces to go and help you sort of take over foreign lands. Um, And so as we're at the tail end of that period, I would think that I would argue that this is more a product of its time rather than being a driving force for the views of the time. You sound like a true new historicist poetry critic there, John. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not not going to dispute that, I don't think. Yeah, obviously it's, it's difficult. And what is interesting is I think if you prescribe to stoicism, then I think you'd find it very difficult to disagree with any of the statements in here. I think we've moved away from that as a society and... As you say, we don't really believe in the stiff upper lip anymore. We believe in sort of, you talk things through, you express yourself, you express your emotions. Whether we trend back to stiff upper lip, who knows? But that doesn't necessarily, just because it's not currently in vogue, I don't think necessarily means that the morality is incorrect here. Mm. Battling against the pressures of society, eh? Indeed. And one of the things that I find quite interesting, um, sort of generally, because obviously this is a a product of a patriarchy, as much as we have a queen on the throne, all of your important roles in government, etc., are taken by men. And we had a very sort of clear, prescribed role for men in society and ideals for them to aim towards. As we move away from that as a society, one of the things we see in the modern day is we see young men going in sort of um, quite toxic directions without using specific um, labels, but sort of because I feel like as a society, when we, mo- when we take away this sort of very prescribed ideal, we haven't really replaced it with an alternative morality, which has allowed for a lot of voices to sort of drag specifically men down sort of, very negative paths. If you'll forgive me a brief digression into the world of film, this is one of the things that I was talking to someone about in relation to the Barbie movie recently. (laughs) Along the lines of, I think that, well, the discussion went that there is a very, what seems to be clear message around femininity in the Barbie movie, um, which is almost to be expected given that it's very much it is a film about barbie but in that film you also have ken and i don't want to give away too many spoilers for those who still want to go and uh, enjoy what is a marvelous film (laughs) but ultimately i think it's fair to say that ken doesn't come off quite as well as barbie does and one of the things that we were considering there is that there is actually within contemporary society um a if you look for it reasonably clear definition of what it looks like in various ways to be a an inverted commas 
I'm actually trying to find the right way of saying this, um, but there are models of what um, being an empowered woman or um, what kind of positive femininity looks like. And we were contemplating whether that was true and also whether the same was true for men or whether in fact it's much harder to find those models of positive masculinity and a film that I really enjoy on the comparative with Barbie is Moonlight for the reason that it shows what I think are some very positive images of masculinity but I think that they are not necessarily as widespread in society as the images of femininity are at the moment and so I think that question is a really important question and I think it's one that this poem has a lot to say about um, but also I think it certainly doesn't provide the answer as a whole to what that positive masculinity is but it can certainly be a really interesting way of talking about some qualities of what we might think of as a more positive framing of masculinity. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think you're absolutely right. There are, it feels like societally, we have moved to a place where there are very sort of strong positive female role models in terms of what are positive things you should do. And on the flip side, the masculine role models tend to be more examples of what you should not do. And so, that, and I think that's what gives space to the voices that sort of mislead young men specifically. It's a lot easier. So you're more likely to lead instructions rather than things that you've been forbidden to, to do. So if I say you should be X, that's a lot easier to achieve than if I say you shouldn't be Y. Because you told me what I shouldn't be, but that doesn't tell me how I should be, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. What am I aiming for here? Um, and I think that's why these voices that give very sort of clear and of obviously to the point of simplicity beyond the real world messaging, um, those are very appealing because if it's very simple, very clear, yes, it's very easy to buy into. If the answer is very grey, that's very difficult to buy into. Yes, and I think that um, part of that is also in the challenge of moving against a flow um, within a modern society. And when it talks about in the poem, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, um, the extent to which we are influenced as people by others and by large groups acting in certain ways is, I think, even more so in a world in which social media is everywhere and it is nigh on impossible to avoid some level of awareness of how other people are broadly acting and also perceiving your own actions. And so it's really hard to actually do that, to talk with crowds and keep your virtue, to kind of hold on to your principles and who you are. Um, and I think perhaps this poem is again very good for that because it again feels like it is one speaker speaking to one person 
Um, and that has a level of intimacy that poems often manage to achieve. And perhaps that is another way this poem handles that quite neatly. Yeah, I think that's quite gripping. Well, I think we've covered that in sufficient depth. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fascinating, James. Mm. It feels like a time almost to uh, turn to the listeners and say, if you have any uh, poems with positive masculine role models or positive female role models that you feel like we should be talking about, then uh, come along to the show and we'll sound them out in poetry form. Yes, send us your recommendations for a positive male role model because we're struggling to find any. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, thank you for listening. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.